All right, do over. So last week we started looking at Jesus' call to the disciples, and we're kind of using that as a model for our own working and thinking about being a discipler and, and fulfilling our commission to go and make disciples as we think about serving the one in 2021 by discipling one. The last part of that call of Jesus when he called the very first disciples was, I will make you fishers of men. And so there's this intent that Jesus has on this call that, that they will go and make more disciples, that they will reproduce or that they will uh, be fishers, that they will be looking and searching for other people to come and follow Christ. Now, I want you to notice I said when Jesus called the first disciples, it was the first disciples, but it wasn't the last disciples uh, that we are also disciples. We too are disciples. And the same fishers of men uh, commission is given to us. The, the same idea is for us to be fishers of men. And so today I want to talk about and give, ourselves, give us some perspectives or some attitudes to embolden us as disciple makers as we think about this being our number one task in the year 2021. Because I really believe that most followers, most disciples, most Jesus followers want to fulfill their mission. They want to uh, fulfill their purpose. They want to see other people come and be disciples too. But sometimes, if we're really honest, that seems like a very daunting task. It seems difficult. It seems uncomfortable. And so I want to give us some perspectives, and, and this is really throughout the Scriptures um, to help us uh, be emboldened in our disciple making. It really comes from that idea. I think Jesus was very particular when he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so we're going to look at some attitudes of a successful fisherman. I happen to know a little bit about fishing and somewhat think of myself as a successful fisherman. And so we're going to look at some attitudes that will help us be fishers of of men based on this idea of the, the, the fishermen. Um, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures. This is really throughout the New Testament, and, and I'll, they'll each want to be referenced so you can write those down and kind of go back and visit them later if you want to. But uh, so we're going to be talking about attitudes of a successful fisherman. First one clarity of intent. That we need, as a, a fisherman needs to be very clear on what they're about doing. And especially those of us when we're starting to think about the discipling process, we need to be really clear on what it is we're doing. See, there's a lot of reasons to go fishing. There's a lot of purposes behind fishing. It's not really that simple at times as you start to think about it. I mean, probably the number one reason to go fishing or the number one people think about fishing is to provide food either for an individual or as an occupation. That, you know, there's fishermen all around the world collecting fish to, to feed the masses. But you also sometimes fish simply for the sport of fishing. Uh, you practice things like catch and release. All you want to do is catch the fish and you release him. And if, if that's your intent, you fish differently than if you're fishing for food. If you want to eat it, you become ruthless. You will do anything in the world it takes to catch the fish. If you're doing it for sport, you might use barbless hooks and all that kind of stuff just to make it easier to catch and release. And it's just about the catch. And, and you really don't want to, to keep the fish at all. It's just turning back. You just the simple sport of fishing and catching it uh, and returning the catch. This was always the debate when I fished with my dad. When we go to some neighbor's pond, the first question that I always wanted to know was, 
Are we keeping any today, Dad? Now, the reason I wanted to know that, I wanted to know what his intent was. I can either go catch, and it would be fun, or it meant we were keeping them, which meant there was a cleaning process that I would be involved in after we got home, and sometimes that wasn't so much fun. And to be real honest with you, on days that we were fishing for fun, I fished harder than on days when I knew I was going to have to do the work at the end. And so being really clear on the intent of my father, I wanted to know what the intentions were for the day. Some people fish to relax. They hardly ever put a hook in the water. They sit on the shore, they take their time, they uh, throw it out, baited maybe, maybe not baited, and they just sit there and fishing is what they're doing, but it's really all about them just being able to get outside and be away from whatever their life was and This is the good excuse to to have a break in the day. Some people fish to manage the resource, especially in the case of invasive species. Like there's certain fish in in some of the rivers uh, out west and in Ohio and other places, there's this carp that's invading the waterways. That's not a Native American, not native to the waters in the USA. Uh, They come from China. And so some people fish just to try to capture those fish and and clean the waterways of these invasive species. And they're trying to manage the resource. And all they want to do is catch them and get them out of there. No purpose but to manage the resource. And then some people fish for the preservation of the fish. They're really thinking about the fish. I put a little picture up here. This is of Ohio Fish Rescue. It's a group of people. uh, I watched some of their videos on YouTube, and if you want to check them out, they're pretty neat. They're all about the fish. And what they do, they go around rescuing fish, aquaria, uh, people's pets that no longer want them, or they've gotten too big for their aquarium. And so their whole reason for existence is to take care of the fish. There's one episode where they go, and this guy had had a large koi pond out in front of his business, you know, big giant pond. Well, he got tired of it, and he closed it down, and and he'd gotten all these magnificent, I'm talking, you know, 30-inch, huge koi carp, uh, and he had them in one of those little Walmart... uh, pools that you get from Walmart in a garage that was like half full of water in the dark and and they were just all swimming around in there and and he calls these people and they show up you know and they're like they're here to rescue the fish and they they jump in the water and you know they're chasing the fish around and netting the fish fish don't know what's going on they don't understand that it's really for their good that they're trying to capture them well they ended up getting them all they take them back home and they've actually turned their own indoor swimming pool into nothing but an aquarium for these big fish Uh, You can see this, I don't know how many thousand gallon fish tank here for some of the other ones that they've rescued from people who didn't want them. The end of that story happens that uh, Shaquille O'Neal apparently is a big fish lover. And some of these big koi that they rescued from this little uh, Walmart uh, pool in the back of someone's garage ends up in Shaquille O'Neal's own personal collection. <laughs> and so you talk about moving up in the world from a, you know, a Walmart pool in the back of somebody's garage to the personal aquarium of Shaquille O'Neal. That's a pretty good upgrade. <laughs> I would say they were certainly rescued. This, that is the intent of a discipler. It's not to eat the fish. It's not just for the fun of it. It's for the sake of the person we're ministering to. It's to help rescue them. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uses a parable. He says, And the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we think about fishing and being fishers of men, our intent is really about them. It's for their good. We want to see them saved. We want to see them upgraded from some dark kingdom into the kingdom of light. And our intent is very, very purposeful, and it's very much about the fish. And so when we think about that, our first idea of being is, is the why we do why we, this, that it matters, that it is for the good of others. And so this is the, the reason we do it. The second idea for us to consider about fishing is to have loving patience, an attitude of loving patience. Now this picture is a picture of an old fisherman. And what he's doing in this picture, in case you can't see it, he is hand weaving fishing traps. Now if that's not the, <laughs> the definition of patience, that he takes time to hand weave these, these wicker baskets that are actually fish traps that he'll set out to catch fish in. And, and, and patience has got to be one of the number one things, the number one attitudes it takes to be a fisherman. My grandfather taught me this, this um, most of my life, that he would come out there and he would just throw his little rubber worm and slowly crank it. And he'd throw it out and he'd slowly crank it. And he'd throw it out and he'd slowly crank it. Meanwhile, my cousin and I who would fish, we we're like running all around the pond dam. We we're trying this, trying that. And... If we're not getting a bite in the first three or four times, we're like, oh, well, there's something else to do. Let's chase grandma's cats or something else would take our attention. But grandpa was still there, slowly fishing. And then sure enough, given enough time, and he reels one in and he just sits there very patiently. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, the Bible talks to us about how to deal with other people when it comes to this discipling method. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and the appearance of his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out to, to reprove and rebuke and exhort people. So that, that the Bible is telling us to tell people the word of God, be ready all the time, you know, to, to encourage them, to correct them, to, to teach them well. And it says, with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths as for you always be sober-minded enduring suffering and do the work of the evangelist fulfill your ministry so the bible is telling us how to do this and that it's going to take patience because time is coming when people's not going to want to hear what it is we have to say. I got a news flash for you. I believe that time has now arrived. I don't think it's actually coming anymore. I think it's just going to continue <laughs> because it's already here. That people are wanting to hear what they want to hear. Maybe in 
more now than ever that it seems that people live in echo chambers and the only people they listen to are those who already say what they want to hear or what they already believe. And so for us, as we think about working in this world, it's going to be a need and take a lot of patience to deal with people. That we're going to have to just stick with it and, and be patient and let people process slowly, very slowly. The, the, one of the problems too, and one of the things I didn't see, now when we see this passage and we think about that, and, and I'm sure there are people at home nodding, like there are people who are nodding here, yep, that time's here, yep, that time's here. We usually think about that in people outside the church, right? Like those who don't hear the message, well, they're just going to listen to what they want to. Well, it's happening inside the church too. That people inside the church are only listening to what they want to hear too. Uh, this is, I like this part of the Bible. I don't like that part of the Bible. I like this part of the message. I don't like that part of the message. And all they hear is the parts that they like. So that's happening both inside the church and outside the church. And it calls for us to be greatly patient with one another and with others. But I think we also need to be patient with ourselves. We need to be patient with ourselves, especially when it comes to the idea of disciple making. That this is a process. This is something we grow into. And your first attempt at discipling somebody may not be your best attempt. You, you may be like me on that fishing pond dam with my, with my grandfather. You know, like I cast it out four times. It didn't work. I'm giving up. But you got to stick with it sometimes. you got to be patient and, and keep being patient with yourself. That as you try and, and start to think about engaging other people with the gospel, as you start to tell people about what you know about Jesus, as you start to broach the subject of, hey, would you like to study God's Word together? Hey, would you like to talk about spiritual things? Or, hey, is there a time we could get together and, and pray together? You know, as you start to work on that discipling relationship, be patient with yourself as you figure out how you're going to do it and, and how God leads you to the one. That, that's one of the reasons we're hopefully praying for a whole month about who is my one? Who is it that you would have me engage with uh, that I can really uh, kind of be fulfilling my ministry? That's our, uh, the end of that passage is fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Go and make disciples. And so we need to have loving patience with those whom we will work and with ourselves too. We need to have caring knowledge of others. Here's a picture. There's a lot of different kinds of fish in the sea. There's all kinds of different people in the world that we're not all the same. And it takes a caring knowledge of the fishermen to understand fish. That, that you got to understand how fish are, what fish like, where fish live, what their habits are. you got to have a very intimate and caring knowledge about fish to be able to fish well. And if you want to be a discipler, then you need to have a caring knowledge of other people, especially those different than yourselves or those whom you would engage. I think that's exemplified by Acts chapter 17. This is Paul, uh, verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the uh, uh, Areopagus, uh, said to the men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man." 
And so what Paul did when he went to Athens, he went around and observed the Athenians. He, he paid attention to what they were doing. He, he went to their, their houses of worship and saw what they did. He, he spent time in their public square. And so when he got there, you know, he was able to address them as who they are. He took time to get to know them. There was a gigantic shift in our culture probably about 50 years ago. That much of our culture went from an authoritarian-based culture to a relationship-based culture. Before about 1970, much of our, the way our society functioned was if you were an authority, if you had a, a, a position of authority, people listened to you because you had position. Somewhere around 1970, give or take a year or two, somewhere in that era, it shifted to I listen to you because I know you because I have a relationship with you. And the authority position didn't hold as much sway. Uh, another way, it's, it's more about who they know than what they know. Or, or another way of saying that, people listen to their friends more than they listen to experts. <laughs> They're not looking for the latest authority. They want to know what people that they know, people that they trust, people that they have a relationship with. They want to know what they think instead of hearing what the authority or, or the expert on the situation is. And so for us to be disciple makers, we need to have a caring knowledge of other people. We need to understand what they think, where they're at, where they live, what their customs are, what they like, what they don't like. We need to spend time with them. We need to build relationships with them. We need to ask questions and be a friend. I remember this little Sunday morning cartoon snippet back when I was a kid and, and it was like a public a service announcement for kids. And, it, and, it, and I remember it. I mean, I must have been seven years old, eight years old when I saw this. And it stuck with me all these years. And it was teaching people how to be a friend. And, and what it said is, if you want to be a friend, go ask people questions about them. Because people like to talk about themselves. And so if you really want to be somebody's friend, just go, so what do you think? What do you like? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite restaurant? Da, 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 da. Always asking questions, getting to know them. And so one of the major things, one of the major ideas for us to be fishers of men is we have to care about others and show them we care about them. Take the time to build a relationship to the point that they will start to care what you think. If we go in as the expert, well, I'm here to tell you the Bible, probably not going to work. I'm here to be your friend. And then somewhere along the way, hey, you read that Bible thing. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, I'm glad you ask. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I'll share that with you now. It takes a large investment of time to build those kind of relationships. But that's back to the patience. <laughs> that's back to knowing the fish. And over the years when I, of my time of fishing, uh, one, of, one of my favorite things to fish for is, is uh, Spanish mackerel and uh, uh, bluefish off the pier on, on the coast. And uh, I remember like it, it spent years learning how to do that. Uh, first time I went there, I, I sat on the pier and I watched these people catch these fish. And I'm I want to do that. And it took a long time to learn the right, the right method and the right bait and the, the right time of year and the right time of day and the right wind conditions and the right water conditions and, and all that it took. 
because those fish aren't there all the time and it doesn't always work and you can't just do it anytime. There's, there's a lot to it. And I spent years and time in developing where that I get the, I can actually do it with some success at this point in my life. And we have to be that willing to invest the time and the knowledge to get to know what conditions are right for me to have a chance to be a disciple in people's lives. One of the other things, the attitudes that a, a, a successful uh, fisherman has is he's got the attitude or the willingness to, be, to use innovation in his methods. There's just a sampling of someone's tackle box. I started to bring my tackle boxes in, tackle boxes in, because I got one for salt water, I got one for fresh water, I got one for bass, I got one for panfish. I got different tackle boxes for different fish. See, I, I know what those fish like, and every one of them has a multiplication of different colors and different size lures and different hooks and different weights and, and all this variety, all these, I'm willing to try anything when it comes to catching fish. That me and my cousin, much of my life as a child, I grew up on my grandfather's farm with my cousin Danny, and much of our life was centered around fishing. And every night before we, we'd arrive, we'd spend the night with grandma and grandpa, and that night we would sit in the bed before we'd go to sleep, and we'd both have our tackle boxes, and we would be trading lures, and oh, I'm going to use this color tomorrow. Well, if you use that color, I'll use this color, and that way we'll figure out which color's working best on that day. And well, you try a worm, and I'll try a topwater, and we would have this giant strategy about all the methods we were going to use to try to figure out what was going to be the most successful for the day. We usually ended up back on worms and bobbers before the day was over. But I guarantee you by the end of the day, we had tried every lure in the box to see which one worked best. And sometimes we just made up our own lures. I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we have that kind of teaching for disciples. It says, to those outside the law became one as outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I, might sh that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's talking about, look, I'm not holding to one kind of method. I'm not holding to one kind of attitude. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to try anything if by that method it might bring someone to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the same kind of attitude we need to have as disciples. And I'm willing to try whatever it takes. Now this has been a year of trying whatever it takes. As you know, there's more people watching on Facebook and YouTube right now than there probably are sitting in the physical building. And so we're willing to try anything. I've had major conversations this week with our media coordinator. I bet you didn't know we had a media coordinator. We now have a media coordinator. Her name's Brianna Underhill, if you want to know. And she's been giving me lessons and helping me understand how to start to use these new tools that we're willing to use and engage to try to do whatever it takes. You should have, if you're on our emailing list, you would have gotten one of the first emails that I sent out this week. And hopefully that's going to be a regular occurrence that from the pastor's desk, there's, there's stuff we're sending out in emails. We're, we're working to try to get on Instagram. We're obviously on Facebook and YouTube. And you can be part of that innovation. Don't just sit there and look. 
Share when you see something. Resend. If you're watching online, have a, have a uh, what's it called, a, a watch party so that you can invite people in your circle that's outside my circle to be part of this. If you get the email, forward it to somebody else that you know. We're going to try to give you content that will be worth sharing and giving to somebody else. Uh, there's lots of sharing and posting of things that aren't so helpful. Let's try to get some sharing and posting of some things that might lead somebody to the gospel. Let's be willing to do whatever it takes to, to reach and save some. Because that's our intent, to see people saved. And so there's lots of ways that you can be innovative. So, so it may require you learning to be a discipler. It may require you learning a new skill. You might have to learn how to log into Zoom and run a Zoom meeting. You might have to learn how to use FaceTime and, and go to a smartphone so you can meet with somebody. You might have to learn all kinds of new methods, but be willing to do whatever it takes so that you can serve the one by discipling one. Endurance in the face of difficulties. If you've ever fished for very long, You've had an occurrence much like the one shown there before you. What's the difference between patience and endurance? Because the number one idea, the number one attitude for any fisherman is patience. But sometimes you have to let that patience become endurance. And I, and I think the real difference is, is patience is all about time, waiting, just kind of investing the time to be there, putting in of what uh, a hunter will call tree time or a fisherman will call water time. But sometimes you just got to, the longer the hook's in the water, the more time you invest, the better your odds are of being successful. But endurance comes in when there's difficulties, when things are, diff when things are hard. It's, it's all about the knots and the snags and the tree limbs in the fishing world. My grandfather's pond that I grew up fishing on, uh, for a long time, uh, it had a power cable that stretched from one corner of the pond to the other corner and kind of went over the middle of the pond. And if I had a quarter for every time I cast my line over the top of that power line and ended up breaking it off, well, I'd be eating steak this afternoon at least. <laughs> It just was, and finally they, they rerouted it and got it off the pond, but it became this great obstacle, not to mention the, the stumps and all the other stuff, and we'd get broke off, we'd get tangled up, we'd get trapped in the trees, we'd get wrapped around a log or whatever it was, and it took time to go back and sit down and retie and untangle the mess that was up on the bait caster or whatever it is. And we have to understand that as we take a message to the world, that's very anti-Christian. We are going to face difficulties. And if we stop disciple-making at the first difficulty, the church would have never made it out of the first century. Acts chapter 14. Now in Iconium they gathered, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so that they remained for a long time speaking boldly of the Lord, and bore witness to the word with grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. 
when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Debris, uh, the cities of Lycania, and uh, to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So they were in one city, and the people, uh, both Jews and Gentiles, and the leaders of the city were like, we're going to stone these guys. Did they quit? No. They moved on to somewhere else and continued to preach the gospel. And we will face that. We, too, have to be willing to endure the difficulties of disciple-making in a world that's very anti-Christian. But we must endure. We must fight through the snags and the knots and all the tree limbs and all the hang-ups that, that would seem to impede us in this ministry, in this commission that we have to go and make disciples. And so we have to have that attitude at the outset that I'm going to endure when it gets difficult. And finally, a disciple maker has to risk failure. You have to embrace the idea of risking failure. Now, this is a picture of an osprey. Some people call it a, a fish eagle or a fish hawk. Uh, that uh, Fish is one of the main uh, foods that an osprey eats, maybe the main food that an osprey eats. Uh, ospreys may be the most, may be the best fishermen on the planet or one of the best fishermen on the planet. Uh, they, did, they did a study. The average time spent hunting before making a catch for an osprey, 12 minutes. 12 minutes before, from the time they start hunting till they got a fish, usually. That's faster than any fish I've probably ever caught. Um, but other uh, studies show that an osprey, and, I'm, ha, uh, and I really had to work hard to find this picture, because most pictures, if you look up osprey and try to find one, most of them have them with a fish in their talons. Most people on the show show them catching the fish. This is one, the only one that I was able to find where it looks like he missed. If you notice, there is no fish in his talons. He hit the water and didn't have success. Some studies show that, uh, that, that they are good, at, that they catch a fish one out of every four dives. And some some. Studies show they may be successful up to 70% of the time. If every four people you engage with the gospel, one got saved, I would sign up for that today. I'm afraid in the disciple-making process, we may be less successful than the osprey is at fishing. And we just have to embrace that. We just have to have the attitude that most of the time, a lot of the time, I'm going to fail that this isn't going to result in what I, my intentions were to begin with, that people are going to reject the gospel. They're not going to want to hear what I have to say. And it may cause me what I deserve as failure. Well, there's good news for you. You're in really good company. In Matthew's gospel, the 19th chapter, it tells us a story of a disciple maker and this is the outcome of that process. The person came to this, this disciple maker and asked him, well, what must I do to, to have eternal life? And, and the disciple maker started telling him what he must do. And here's how it ends. It says, the young man said, him, all these things I've done, I, I, all these things I've kept, what do I still lack? And he said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. 
and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, you already know who that disciple maker was, right? Jesus himself told the man the truth, and the man went away. Was Jesus a failure? Did he miss it? No, the person rejected Christ. And so I, I recently heard this, this a tagline. As, it, as you start thinking about being a discipler this year and, and serving the one by discipling one, you can't agree to try if you're not willing to fail. You can't even get out the gate and say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to obey the Lord. I'm going to try to serve the Lord. I'm going to try to fulfill my ministry, fulfill my mission, and, and, and fulfill the Great Commission if you can't embrace the idea that it may not turn out the way you want it to. Like Jesus, I think you don't have to take it personally, though. You've got to make sure it's not about you, that it's about Christ. It's about, they didn't reject me. They didn't turn from me. They turned away from the Lord. And it's all about their relationship with the Lord, and, and don't take it personal. And one other thing you can do, measure success differently. Have a different set of met metrics. Don't make it about the success of leading someone to Christ, or discipling one, or getting someone saved. Make your metrics about obedience and not results. It's always more about our obedience than our results. That I will do what I'm commissioned to do. I will obey and follow the commands of Christ no matter what outcome comes. There's a great story. Adoniram Judson, one of the first Baptist missionaries. Before he left, Judson was asked about the prospect uh, of the immediate conversion of the heathen. He didn't end up going to Miramar and, and India and, and being the first missionary in that part of the world. Judson's reply was that the prospects were as bright as the promises of God. During his first several years in Burma, his faith in those promises was to be uh, severely tested and proven. In his first four years, he had only one inquirer. And it was six years before his first convert. On June 27, 1819, that convert was the first of Judson's labors, was baptized. So six years Judson is on the missionary field before he makes a single convert. But Judson was a good fisherman. After another five years rolled by, which uh, time Judson unfailingly translated the New Testament into Burmese language, after 11 years of labor, the number of converts had increased to 18. Eight, so a little bit better than one a year. When the conversion seemed to lag and Judson heard rumors from home that his ministry might be considered a failure, he declared, tell them to wait a few years and then uh, they will hear from us. By the conclusion of his 37 years, uh, the, these critics had been silenced and Judson had become a living legend. By the time of his death, he had accomplished all the goals he set out to do, leaving a translation of the Bible as well as a half-completed Burmese English dictionary. There were a hundred churches and over 8,000 believers in large part due to his, his influence. Miramar was what the third largest number of Baptists worldwide behind the United States and India alone. And this is a man who spent his life fishing for men. I think he's a good example he knew he was very clear on what his intent was. He certainly had loving patience. He took time to get to know the people he served. He spent time investing in those and had a caring knowledge of those who he served. 
He was innovative in his methods, even producing his own copy of the Bible so that he could share the word in their own language. He had great endurance to face the difficulties that were on the field, and he was willing to risk failure and ignore those who called his, success, his, his work a failure. And in the end, he became one of the greatest fishers of men of the modern era. May we have a similar set of attitudes as we think about our mission to fulfill our ministry to be fishers of men. As in this year, we consider the idea of who will be your one? Who will you strike out to be a disciple as you serve the one by discipling one?